Shalom, 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 and welcome to the Noahide Nation Show. It's great to be back with you folks once again. I'm your co-host, Ray Patterson, and let me bring in my friend and co-host, Mr. Prescott Johnson. Prescott, are we doing okay today? I'm doing well, Ray. I hope you're doing okay. Well, I'm doing okay, and you sound like you're doing okay as well, and Mm. I wish we could hear the listeners to see if they're doing okay. So (laughs) let's go ahead and assume that they are. (laughs) Yes. And uh, And if they aren't, if they aren't, we hope things improve. Uh, as a result of this show. Oh, that would be wonderful. And if yeah. it does, send us an email. Send it yeah. to noahide at israelnationalradio.com. Let us know. Those kinds of emails make us feel really good. Um, <laughs> and you know, for those of you who are happy because you got in on the uh, class on the Rambam, the first class on the Rambam at the Noahide Nations Academy of Shem last week, uh, it was a great class. And uh, you know, you, folks need to get in on that because it's a great uh, a teaching from a couple mm. of Noahides who've been studying the Rambam for a long time, and, and uh, you heard an interview with them last week. So get in on that next class uh, this coming Thursday. Yeah. Now we do have a special, special show today, mm-hmm. and most of it is going to be a recorded lecture by a gentleman by the name of Rabbi Hanan Balk. He is a respected leader of the Cincinnati Jewish community. He's been in a service of a single synagogue there for 19 years. Wow. Uh, it's a golf, golf manor synagogue. And he just, uh, it, it's a blossoming uh, Jewish community. I'm sure there's a number of Noahides who are aware of it. But uh, this rabbi is uh, just uh, an incredible individual. He is going to do a lecture on Noah. However, mm-hmm. He is going to do it from the exact opposite of what Prescott and I were talking about <laughs> in a recent show we did on Parsha Noach. We were and, complaining about it. <laughs> right. You're like, enough is enough. Well, Rabbi Balk, I'm not sure when exactly he uh, did this, but he did give me permission to go ahead and, and play this on air and on the uh, website as well. But he clearly admits exactly what you and I were saying, Prescott, that Noah usually is cast in this negative light. So when you hear this teaching, especially Noahides, you're going to be amazed at this teaching. This is a teaching you probably may have never heard before, but at a minimum haven't heard very much of. Now, Rabbi Balk has received his B.A. from none other than Columbia University in Ancient Studies, and he's also got a master's in uh, religion and education from the uh, Columbia's Teachers Teacher College. Teachers College. And uh, he actually received his rabbinic ordination from Yeshiva University. So he is a very credible rabbi. If you were wondering whether or not we can put any substance and, and, you know, how, how good is this lecture that we're going to hear? And mm-hmm. I think this is a credible enough rabbi that it's going to be very 
well received, I think. You listened to it too, yeah. didn't you, Prescott? What'd you think? Yeah, I, I did. Um, and and some people might think that we just did this to get out of actually putting work into getting a show ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's beside the point. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Uh, but the fact was that when this when we received a, a link to this lecture um, uh, and and having listened to it, uh, it 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 reminds us yet again of something that is so beautiful about Torah study. And that is that that all of the different elements, all of the different perspectives that are brought to bear in a discussion on any text leads to numerous levels of understanding and interpretation, all of which are beneficial. And unfortunately, uh, as he points out in the lecture when he begins, is that uh, Noah kind of gets a, a, a bad rap, but that, that sometimes those things, uh, you know, just over time uh, may naturally happen uh, because he's not a really he's not as much of a central figure in in Torah as some of the other uh, as say Avraham Yitzhak and, uh, and right. Jacob right so and probably and probably should be especially, yeah, yeah. especially when you hear some of the things he says it, exactly what he points out yeah. right so yeah. I think this is a, a great it's it's obviously very credible and mm-hmm. for us Noahides it is an amazing teaching, and it I is. think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's go ahead and get into it right now. Today's shear represents an effort to try to understand more properly the character of Noah in Chumash. I was recently sent an article by Professor Menachem Kellner, a great Baki in the Rambam, And he tells a story within that article in a footnote about his father, who was a rabbi in Miami, Florida, at a time when there were not a lot of Jews in Miami. And in that situation, although his father was a Frum Jew, and at the time no one had a dog who was a Frum Jew, his mother, who was American, wanted a dog, so they had a dog. And they had a bungalow in Miami, and the father, the rabbi, told his son, Menachem Kellner, a story about how once a hungry Meshulach uh, came up to the door, you know, collecting and also looking for something to eat. And uh, his father understood the following uh, situation that was taking place in the mind of the Meshulach. The Meshulach looked into the window and he saw a dog. And he said, I know that can't really be so. After all, I am told Rav Kellner is an Erech he's a Frum Jew, and yet I'm certainly looking here, and it seems to me that I am seeing a dog in his home. So either Rav Kellner is not an Erech but how could that be? Because after all, everyone told me that he is. Or the only other option is, is that's not a dog. Well, Rabbi Kellner is well known to be an Erech and plus... The guy thought, you know, I'm hungry, so it must be this is not a dog. There is a classic Scarbover view, what we say, of Noah in Chumash. It says, as we know, that Noah was a tzaddik tamim. It says this about no one else in the same line, in the same sentence in all of Tanakh. A tzaddik tamim, someone who is absolutely righteous. And more than that, 
who states he was a tzaddik tamim? The Rebona Shalom. It's not people who lived around him who said he was a tzaddik tamim. It's the Rebona Shalom himself. And of course, we are taught, we know in our tradition, especially when it comes to the laws of Lashon Hara, that one should always give a person the benefit of the doubt. You have to give a righteous person, especially, the benefit of the doubt. You have to You have to judge a person on the scale of merit in his benefit. And yet, we have, in our situation, when Chazal give different views about how to judge Noah, a weightiness that comes down on Noah, that he is not the Tzadik Tamim, who the Rebbe Shalom, not everyone says he is, but who the Rebbe Shalom says that he is. What do they want from Noah? Of course, there are various ways to reevaluate this individual Noah, and people try to defend him. But I would like to offer what I believe is an astonishing suggestion that not only defends Noah, as many have done, but that presents him in the completely opposite light than he is regularly cast. And I believe there is a secret to developing this view. The secret is in not falling into the trap that people generally fall into, in focusing upon in Parshas Noach, Noach ish tzadik tamim hayabederotav et alokim hitalich Noach. You focus upon the opening statement concerning Noach that he was righteous in his generation, upon which Rashi makes his famous comment: "Is not in other generations would he have been righteous?" And from there, everything goes downhill in terms of Noach. But this, I think, is an incorrect perspective. Rav Soloveitchik, as I understand it, always said that if you wanted to see what a word means in Tanakh, so search out the first place where it is utilized and learn from there. And I believe we can say the same thing we are, when we are introduced to a person in Tanakh. And we are not introduced to Noah in Parshad Noach, as everyone seems to focus upon. As we know, we are introduced to Noach in Parshad Bereshit, at the end of the fifth chapter of Bereshit. There it says, Vayikrat Shemo Noach. We are told that a son was born to Lemech and he called him Noah, saying that this one would allow us to rest from our deeds and the suffering and sadness of our hands from the ground which God cursed. Rashi understands that he said Yinachameinu, he says must mean that he will let us rest it can't be he will comfort us because otherwise his name then would not be Noach, it would be Menachem. However, there are others who do understand, I saw amongst the Mepharshim, that it in fact can 
be read also as meaning that this one will comfort us. In any event, this is where we are introduced to Noah. How is it that this comfort is going to come about that's going to help others, this comfort or this rest to others? Rashi explains based on a medrash. Until Noah came along, there were no plowing tools. And he prepared them for mankind. It is very difficult for one to achieve something in terms of planting and sowing because of the various uh, weeds and the like which sprung up around the crop. This all happened because of the curse of the ground that was given by God as a result of the sins of the first human beings. And Rashi says, in the time of Noah, they finally rested from this curse this is what it means that he will allow us to rest from it Rashi says it has to be that otherwise again he would be called Menachem so we see the uniqueness of Noah as we are introduced to him almost immediately we are told that his greatness involves the creation of the plow to me, this seems like an absolutely astounding notion. Because, as I said, the Skarbober Torah, the so-called classical way to understand Noah, is that the word Noah means that this individual was at rest. That is to say that he was very passive. He doesn't try to save others when he's told about the flood. He doesn't take any action. And yet, I would like to suggest that, in fact, we see from this introduction to Noah and Chumash that it is exactly the opposite. Noah, far from being a pacifist, is in fact a radical, a revolutionary, an amazing activist. Most understand that the lesson we learn from Noah from these opening verses is that Noah brought technology into the world. But I would like to suggest that the lesson here is not one of technology. The lesson we're being taught from Noah is one of theology. What Noah is teaching us is an amazing idea. We know that for ten generations now, from the time of Adam Arishon until Noah, because the land had been cursed, that the people therefore could only utilize the ground for planting by using their hands in order to make holes in the ground, by using sticks of some sort to try to affect the ground. And there was a gazera from Hashem that that's how it was supposed to be. It was a curse upon the ground that would not make it easily tilled for those who wanted to benefit from its use. Along comes Noah, and Noah fights the Gezerah of Hashem. He confronts 
the curse and decides that if it can be overcome, then we should overcome it. Far from being passive, Noah is the first one, the first one to challenge Hashem. We usually say that it's Abraham and his challenge of God when he was going to destroy Sodom. And then that it's Moshe as another example of such an approach when he defends Klal Yisrael when Hashem wants to destroy the Jewish people after the sin of the golden calf. And so too when he wants to destroy them all in one great sweep at the time after the sin of the spies. Both cases, Moshe Rabbeinu defends and confronts the decree that is going to be made against the Jewish people. This continues throughout history. Choni Amagal is an example of someone who refuses to move from a circle. Hence, he's called Choni Amagal, the Gemarantani says. Until the rainfall that Hashem brings down is proper and a rain of blessing, not too hard, not too soft, Incredible chutzpah confronting Hashem. Rav Levi Yitzchak Abreditchev is the example of the most uh, close generation to our own who would regularly challenge Hashem, as it were, because of decrees that came upon the Jewish people. I am suggesting that it was not these individuals alone who uh, emphasized this approach, but in fact these individuals were students of none other than Noah who is the first one to confront the Gzair of Hashem by creating the plow and trying to utilize it on the land. In fact, I would even suggest, if I could, that the very notion of the plow is that it is something that it is, it is mahafech. It turns over the dirt. It is mahafech. And that's exactly what someone who challenges a decree or challenges a notion in society is. He is a mahafech. He totally turns over the decree and the approach of society. V'anahafochu, as we know from Purim, in terms of the Jewish people, totally turning it around, uh, in terms of them becoming uh, powerful over their enemies instead of the victims of their enemies. And so to Noah, again, a revolutionary, totally overturning, being mahafech, what had been the general view, the passive view, that you cannot fight back against the decree of Hashem upon this land. Noah, Noah the activist, Noah the radical, this is the true Noah as we meet him from his introduction to us at the end of Parshat Bereshit. To show you that in fact it is the case that Noah can have this type of personality, I bring you other evidence. There are Midrashim who say that Noah, as opposed to how we usually analyze him, that he did nothing at all to try to save those of his generation, it's not true. There are Midrashim that say that he did try to give tochacha to those in his generation. The Sforno, amongst the Mepharshim, specifically goes out of his way in several places to indicate that Noah, while he may have been unsuccessful, did in fact try to influence, 
try to rebuke those in this generation to get them to do tshuva. Another indication of both the negative approach to Noah, but what I will present as a direct opposite approach to Noah, is the famous Rashi who says, who tells us that finally when Noah and family went into the ark, it says they went in, meet the name Mehamabul, because of the floodwaters. Whereupon Rashi tells us that even Noah Hayamamin Veinomamin, he believed and he didn't believe. He really didn't think the flood was going to come. And consequently, that is why he did not go into the ark when it started to rain, because he saw the flood was coming, because he didn't believe the flood was ever going to happen. It's only when the water, if you will, went up to his neck, and he had no choice. So finally, no, then it says, Rashi says, Dakuhu, the water forced him to go in. He did not have a choice. Again, showing the negative connotations of Noah's actions. However, I believe we can see this in a different light. You know, there's a medrash that says that the Satan uh, attempted to stop Abram Avinu from taking Yitzhak to the Akedah by making the river rise and overcome him. And Abraham, of course, refused to give in to the Satan, continued to fight and to struggle. I suggest we look at it in this vein from the perspective of what Noah was doing. First of all, the idea that Noah really didn't believe in the flood after, after he built, for hundreds of years he built the, the Teva. It seems strange he built it, but he didn't believe the flood was going to come doesn't seem to make any sense. I would like to suggest that what happened here with Noah and the idea of the water forcing him into the ark should be understood in a different way. Namely, that when it began to rain and the flood was coming, that Noah stood his ground. Noah basically said, I am not going to go into this teva. Man is not going to be wiped out. Your only hope is in me in that I will be saved in that ark, and as a result, the world can continue to go on. I won't go in the ark. I'm standing here on my ground. I refuse to go again. Noah is confronting the Gezerah of Hashem of that flood, refusing to go along with what God's plan is. It's only, this is how we should understand it, from the Medrash and from Rashi. It's only because, as Rashi says, because Noah was forced to go in, which I understand to mean in this way, because the waters picked him up and actually carried him into the ark and forced him into the ark. That's what it means as to why Noah went in the ark and for no other reason. Otherwise, he would be standing his ground. Well, folks, we're going to go ahead and stop it right there. We hope you'll stick around for the second half of the show because we are going to play the rest of Rabbi Balk's lecture. But we need to take a break right now. So let's go ahead and do that, Prescott, and we'll catch the folks on the other side.
Yes, darlings, this is Grandma JJ here in the USA. We, I just called to wish you blessed holidays and a happy new year. And we're standing with you. So we serve the God, the only God of Israel. Don't give up any more land. God gave you that land. Take care of it and do what you need to do. All the blessings of the Holy One of Israel upon you. The only true God from Grandma JJ in Gallatin, Tennessee. Love you all. You're listening to IsraelNationalRadio.com. A study at the Urological Clinic in the Soroka Hospital in Israel found that those taking Apuncha capsules experienced significant relief from bladder or urinary problems. Don't just suffer. Contact the Priso Company for natural herbal remedies. Made from the Apuncha flower grown right here in Israel. Visit their website at www.priso.com. www.priso.com. That's P-R-I-S-S-O dot com. Welcome back, everybody. We are certainly glad that you stuck around for the second half of this Noahide Nation show. And we hope that you are enjoying this lecture by Rabbi Balk. And uh, you know, I've got to uh, say something that I, I forgot to mention in the first segment is the name of this lecture. He, he calls it Reinventing Noah, the Radical and Revolutionary I think as you listen to the whole thing, you'll come to realize exactly why he's named it that. I, I don't know if I care for the word reinventing. I much prefer acknowledging Noach for the <laughs> radical revolutionary that he was. Yeah. You know, It's not that we're reinventing him. This is who he was. I, I believe that uh, the rabbi is right on with yeah. his uh, assessment of what the Torah is telling us. Wouldn't you, yeah. wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. No, he, um, again, it's back to, he, he simply takes what we've, what we do know about the story and he says, there is, there are other reasons why people do the things that they do. And even the Midrashim, that it's known that there were those who didn't come to the same kind of conclusions that we typically hear about Noah. But unfortunately, uh, we don't always get to hear what those other, the other stories are that help us see him in a different light. So, I agree. And, you know, what's uh, interesting also is that when you hear these teachings, the way they're presented normally, and you hear this generation after generation after generation, it's a, an amazing thing that the Gentiles aren't walking around with their heads down constantly, <laughs> you know, in, in shame. And, you know, this, is, uh, this helps bring light to something that is needed to be brought forth for decades, for hundreds of years, forever, as far as I'm concerned. But let's go ahead and take one step at a time, one day at a time, and let's go ahead and finish with Rabbi Balk's lecture on the real Noah. Here we go, folks. I would like to suggest that what happened here with Noah and the idea of the water forcing him into the ark should be understood in a different way. Namely, that when it began to rain and the flood was coming, that Noah stood his ground. Noah basically said, I am not going to go into this teva. Man is not going to be wiped out. Your only hope is in me, in that I will be saved in that ark. And as a result, the world can continue to go on. I won't go in the ark. I'm standing here on my ground. I refuse to go again. Noah is confronting the Gezerah of Hashem of that flood, refusing to go along with what God's plan is. It's only, this is how we should understand it, 
from the Medrash and from Rashi. It's only because, as Rashi says, because Noah was forced to go in, which I understand to mean in this way, because the waters picked him up and actually carried him into the ark and forced him into the ark. That's what it means as to why Noah went in the ark and for no other reason otherwise he would be standing his ground and finally one other piece of evidence that can serve as an indication that Noah was one who would fight the Gezerah who was a revolutionary, who was a radical and of course all of this goes with the notion that we believe unlike for example Christian scientists and others that if God makes a decree that it can be fought against we're supposed to do everything we can to overcome it if God doesn't want us to overcome it we won't overcome it as opposed to uh, this showing uh, not a uh, faith in Hashem just the opposite it shows we know that God is greater and that we will not be able to overcome something if he really does not want us to so thereby we are charged by the Bible Shalom to try to confront whatever challenges we have from, uh, from wherever they may come and uh, do the best we can to successfully deal with them. And so Noah, after the flood as well, comes out as we know, Parakhtet, Kaf to Kaf Aleph, that Noah plants a vineyard after the flood and he gets drunk and he rolls in nakedness into his tent. Rav Schwab, in his beautiful explanation of this in his commentary on Chumash, asked the question, how could it be that Noah, this holy person, this tzaddik tamim, would get drunk out of coming out of the teva uh, after he has been testified to by the Torah himself of being such a unique individual? How could it be that he fell to such a level? Of course, those who are negative will again say, yes, this is Noah. See now, he's not called a tzaddik tamim anymore. He's called Isha Dama. He's just a man of the earth. He's not spiritual. He's very earthly now, very material. He therefore plants a, a plant that creates wine. He's interested in drunkenness and kind of the, the enjoyments of this world. And, and he makes himself naked, naked, something that someone would not do who is an Adam Kadosh. What's going on here? And yet Rav Schwab says it's difficult to accept this perspective because thereafter he has a prophecy where he speaks about what will happen to his children. And coming to a state of prophecy, obviously it would seem to be that a person would have to be on a certain significant level. Rav Schwab beautifully suggests, perhaps it can be said, that Noah thought that now that the flood had come, all evil had been wiped away from the world. And therefore now there was a possibility to correct the world and to return it to the way that it was before the sins of the first human beings. Therefore he thought he had come to the level of being a man of the earth. 
He's like, therefore, Adam. Again, like the first human being, Shinivra Amin Adama was created from the earth. And that's why he planted a vineyard and he drank wine. Thinking that he could no longer fall into the hands and clutches of sin. And this will correct the fact that Adam Arishon ate from the tree of knowledge. Because we know the Gemara Sanhedrin of Ahmad Aleph says that there were different considerations about what the actual fruit was of that tree. Was, was it wine, which according to uh, this view, according to the view of Rav Schwab we're pointing out here, that if it was wine, according to that view, Noach therefore believed that he could take this fruit and utilize it properly this time. And that's why as well, as well says for Schwab that he became naked in his drunkenness. Because he thought he now reached the level again of innocence where Adam and Chava were naked in the garden. There was no longer a need to cover up oneself, as this was a time that was before the the advent of sin upon the earth. So we see from this, where Schwab tells us, so what was Noah trying to do? Not something evil, but just the opposite, something which was uplifting and inspiring, an attempt to recreate Gan Aden. But I would like to point out, as we have established this theme to be the case, that Noah, as you see, was doing something else. Because we know there was a Xerah that had been made that the Bodhisattva would not allow mankind to go back to Gan Aden. He had placed Kruvim at the borders of Gan Aden, cherubic angels with flaming swords to keep out, as it were, anyone who would try to return to the paradise of Gan Eden. There was no return. It was not possible to go back to Gan Eden. And yet, despite that Xera, who, as again, we probably would presume no one tried to, to cross that Xera, to fight against that Xera, but Noah, Noah, radically again, makes an effort to try to go back to Gan Eden, even against what the will of Hashem is. He's not a pacifist. He's not Noah in the sense of just resting and doing nothing. He is a radical activist, as seen again in this particular case. I would add, by the way, that the thought of recreating Gan Eden, going back to Gan Eden, what was wrong with that thought? He was trying to be metaking the entire world. What was wrong with that thought through the mind and the efforts of Noah? The answer would be, I would say, is that we learn from this something very significant, that you cannot go back after sin. You cannot go back in order to do tikkun. You cannot go back to Gan Eden and now try, let's say, to eat from the Yetzadat and the Yetzachayim. If you want to correct something that was done, 
you can only do so by going forward. And Hashem will present you with the opportunity to utilize what resources are provided in order to correct that very sin in a different way. And we would understand it in this case as the following. That there was an Eitzachayim, a tree of life, that was there in Gan Eden. And of course Hashem said He had to put up these cheruvim with the flaming swords in order to protect Gan Eden because man would go back now and try to eat from that Eitzachayim and live forever, which was against God's will. Ah, but even though one cannot go back to that Gan Eden and eat from that Eitzachayim, still... Hashem provided us with another Eitz Chaim in this world, with the Torah, with an Eitz Chaim He, Lamachazikim Ba. One has an opportunity even in this world to also have eternal life, to live forever. As we say after we say the bracha of the Torah, after the Kriya Torah. We are still have been given the opportunity of eternal life. But it can't be by going back to an Eitz Chaim that we already were exiled from. It had to be through the grasping of a new Eitz Chaim, which Hashem would provide for us. There's no going back. There's no going back in terms of technology. As Noah invented the plow and the thought of introducing technology into the world. And now, with accordance, as I understand still with Rav Schwab's presentation. So what was Noah trying to do then? He was trying also to revert to the notion of primitive man and to uh, escape his technological inventions that he had introduced to the world. This also cannot be done. Once technology has been brought to the world, the same thought as previously, it cannot be undone. One cannot go back. Rav Soloveitchik indicated in his work, The Lonely Man of Faith, that the human being who wants to be involved in science, technology, and so on, that this is something that brings dignity to the human spirit. This is not something seen as inappropriate, but something we have to go forward with, even in today's world. We know that there are views that the computer, the television set, and and so on, should not be utilized at all. They should be totally put out of our mind and perspective and lifestyle because of the dangers that they may cause. But I would suggest that while the dangers are certainly there, that there is no going back, as we saw Noah try to do from technology, and once these elements have been introduced, we have to utilize great care in their utilization, but they cannot be dispensed of, and they are now a part of our world. We have seen, therefore, that a mistake is made in the way in which people judge Noah. Noah was someone who preceded all others, Avraham, Moshe, Magal, Revlevi Yitzchak, in terms of challenging the Gezerah of Hashem. However, there are some important points that must be made here. This idea of challenging the Gezerah of Hashem, there have been books written about this, one particular book I recall, I never read it, but it's entitled Arguing with God. And in that book, the individual tries to make a case, and I've seen this brought down in various educational curricula as well, 
that just like these great individuals argued with God, that they serve as a model for us to argue with God as well. And I would question that understanding. We would be better off saying that Noah and those who came after him, because they were great tzaddikim, because they were on such a high level, that only they were capable of confronting God and his xayra and arguing with him. Obviously anyone else who would do so would probably not be successful, would fail, because he had no right to try to approach Hashem in that particular way. Only unique individuals would have this opportunity, not human beings and humanity in general. However, that's only when it comes to a Gezerah of Hashem. When it comes to a Gezerah of human beings, when they make decrees, when they make predictions... So in those situations where uh, there is what seems to be a statement made by those around us and we see that decree as being something that can be overcome, that we must overcome, all of us, that we must confront, that we must try to change, that we must try to be radical and activist concerning. Because if Noah and Yechidim could do it in terms of even Xer of Hashem, certainly we can do it and we are required to do it when the Xera is certainly not one which is Omeid, which stands in a Kavuadika way forever, but is only a Xera in the minds of human beings. That must be confronted, that must be looked at in this way. May we learn this lesson of Noah. He is so much maligned within our tradition, but we have seen that from looking at his walking on to the biblical stage, which came at the end of Bereshit, if we start there and give him the full consideration of his entire life, instead of starting with the opening of Parshas Noah, a negative comment that then flows into more negative comments. If we start, as is often the case when looking at another person, I might add, with a positive perspective upon Noah, and then we continue forward, we will indeed understand him to be a much, much greater person than many have evaluated him to be. Noah, someone to learn from. Well, shalom, everybody. We just wanted to wrap up that lecture right here with a couple of comments. And as I said early on, and I'm going to say it again, that is an amazing teaching. I mean, Rabbi Balk brought up things that I hadn't even considered. I'm just so grateful and so thankful to Linda who sent that link to us so that we were able to to listen to this teaching. And I just want to throw out there, and Prescott and I were kind of talking about this, that any of our listeners out there, any of you folks that happen to hear a lecture or read an article from a rabbi that is favorable in this manner about Noah, we'd like to get it. Please send us the link to these teachings, and we will get permission to use those and put those up on the Noahide Nations website, you know, maybe in a section of, you know, meet the real Noah kind of thing. Yeah, it it really, when I was listening to the teaching, there were so many things going on in the back of my mind as I was sort of reconfiguring 
you know, a lot of the story of Noah in terms of how uh, we have heard a lot of the teaching, which has been what hasn't been outrightly negative, has not really been a glowing report. And I believe, as as he pointed out, uh, he talked about, you know, that I think it was, uh, uh, forgive me if I butcher the uh, the pronunciation of the name, uh, Rabbi uh, Soloveitchik, Solo, Solo, Solo I think it is. Good attempt. I think that might even be it. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> um, because I had heard him reference that before, reference the idea that to understand a word, simply go to the first time that it's mentioned in the Torah because it's very intentional when words are introduced. And so when we when we see how Noah was introduced, and even when we see the word tzaddik, right, right. when it's first introduced, it's introduced about this man. And therefore, it, it, it's supposed to open our eyes or it's supposed to get our attention to understand what it is, that there's there's an important meaning to the first time that it, it's referenced. Right. And, and of course, for, for us Noahides, it, that's important because the first time that it's referenced, it's referenced to the man to whom a, a very specific covenant was given in Bereshit 9, in, in Genesis 9, that he was given a covenant. And if you go through that covenant, which I, I always enjoy doing uh, when I'm talking to Christians, because I always use particular phrases from that covenant, and uh, I always say, who is that about? And they always say Abraham. Every time it's always Abraham got that covenant, because it's an everlasting <laughs> right. covenant to you and your right. children, and this is the sign. And of course, when you read the covenant, you say, no, 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 this here was given to Noah before it was given to Abraham. And it's not that the the covenant that was given to Abraham was not significant, but there was a very significant covenant given to this man, Noah. So, And, I mean, if that one thing was the only thing he said and the lecture was an entire two minutes, <laughs> uh, that would have been enough. Yeah. Because it speaks volumes of the character of who Noah was in the eyes of Hashem. That's right. Yeah. Not in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of Hashem. And that is what's so important about this. So I thank Rabbi Balk for sharing that teaching and allowing us the opportunity to put that on the air. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to mention, too, just as a a reminder uh, for those who haven't heard it and for those who have, about the World Conference of the Noahide Nations coming up in July of 2011. That is going to be over the 4th of July weekend, Mm. and it's going to be a a great time. You know, I plan on having a lot of rabbis there, and the theme is going to be on uh, Zechariah 8.23. And I think we're in the time of, of history where this is actually happening. We may actually be seeing this happen right before our very eyes. And that, my friends, is Zechariah 8.23, and it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says, In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. That is going to be the theme of this conference. Naturally, there's going to be a number of rabbis who will be teaching there. I think we're kind of bumping up towards the end of our time limit here. Sadly, it's always tough to get these things in. I think we are going to have to sneak out of here before we get slapped. So, Prescott, this was a great show. I'm glad we did this, folks. Folks, we appreciate you sticking around with us for the entire hour. And until next week, Shavuot Have a great week. Shalom.
with El Al's new one-stop shop, booking a vacation to Israel has never been easier. It's simple. The easy-to-use system allows you to book your flight to Israel and customize your travel plans with El Al's travel partners in the tourist industry and realize huge savings in the process. And now, for Arucheva listeners only, order a flight and hotel in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv through the Arucheva site and get a free cell phone with 60 minutes to use absolutely free. Click on the banner on IsraelNationalRadio.com.